0: day uh and welcome to uh, the effect podcast episode 170 matthew's trouble with prep i'm dave <laughs>
1: <laughs> and i'm matthew who and has I trouble did give with you prayer. license to think of a title <laughs> between the point um I, so the word i put down was uh in my script for this show, because of course I do all the hard work. Here uh, was the trouble with prep, and you we do were all the hard work, and I do repetitive. all the interesting
0: stuff, so it's fine.
1: It's great. Mm, it's maybe, good- <laughs> maybe. Anyway, Um we've so, got a patch show for you tonight. Uh today, don't we always have a patcho? We do today. I don't, I don't know why we whatever, want to whatever say time it, we're listening to it.
0: Last time <laughs> I was doing that bit last on the last show, I did wonder why do I keep saying this because everybody <laughs> know we we just waste thirty seconds. Saying exactly what everybody knows anyway, and what we've said 169 times before.
1: As usual, we have all the same sort of items that we usually have on this show. Starting off with thanking our patrons. Of course, we've got three new patrons Ooh, to say thank excellent. you. Excellent. This time, cool. Uh, cool. We've also got. Sorry, I said cool, cool, cool. I thought you said who hoo and I thought no, that's well, not we'll, the way we'll we come, do things. We'll because come, because come to we who, do the patron- in a moment. <laughs> we will. Uh, <laughs> Can I, to talk, can, I else?
0: can I just say apologies to listeners for this this occasion. We are a bit rough. It's Sunday <laughs> yeah. morning. Which is the only time. It's a been bit early, early in the in. morning for us. I had to get up at half past seven on a Sunday, which is frankly an outrage against humankind. um uh but yeah so that's why we're a bit shit this morning anyway yeah but remember
1: i i i told you you had to get up at half past seven or i was going to get andy in to co-host with me and yeah and we're not
0: doing that again are we no so that's just not happening. (laughs) that
1: gave you incentive (laughs) enough to get up uh anyway uh yeah please accept our apologies for being a bit rough it's a bit early for both of us um uh three new patrons that we'll we'll mention by name shortly we've got the world of gaming which i think actually is going to be a relatively short world of gaming for us this time just a couple of items there to talk about um mm-hmm. then we've got a little extra item we've got one of our periodical dips into the free league workshop because uh, two or three things have come out in free league workshop that we want to talk about and we will link to yeah um then we've got my essay, which is uh, advice on planning for Forbidden Lands, which I think is different from prepping, uh, doing GM prep for many other games.
0: Indeed, and this is the um, this is the essay that you demanded that you did instead of me because I have not yeah GM'd. absolutely. Well, I have GM. Like, like, actually, I have GM Forbidden Lands. I did Grindbone Tournament, but um, it was a slightly different kind of set up then uh,
1: yes and obviously you did so a lot of prep for that uh, as as did we both but that was a different thing that wasn't really an adventure well the prep so
0: for that way. was just um, getting the map together for the fights and then having the players yeah. turn up and, and roll uh, up their characters and,
1: and working out the um, you know the how many players we could do and stuff yeah, like that I mean that's that, quite that, an intensive bit of prep actually. that was
0: kind of logistics prep rather than role playing prep though was not it and of course so we might be different. doing
1: that again when we go to uk games expo next year they're vaguely interested in us running a bigger tournament they're definitely interested yeah john came
0: john dud came and spoke to us at the end of the last one um about the possibility of doing it we do need to kind of move that forward a bit don't we actually get let's get some well uh, i
1: i yeah i think i think not right now because we're um well let let us let us say thank you because I was going to touch on something else we're doing, but we'll do that in World of Gaming. Uh, so let us first of all go to our patrons and say thank you to our three count them three new patrons <laughs> that we've got since Woo. the last episode, and they are uh, Jerry Jenkins. First cool. of all, thank welcome. you, Jerry. Welcome, welcome, Jerry. Uh, Now, Jerry has been a fan of us through the stream that we're doing roughly fortnightly of Night Witches. He Mm. has been the most vocal fan on Twitter of Night Witches. Excellent. And then he twigged, I think, that if he became a patron, he could join in the game. And he Mm. did indeed join us on Thursday uh, for our most recent episode of Night Witches. So welcome, Jerry. Not just... Thank you very much, everybody, but thank you for getting involved in the community, coming on to Discord, uh, stepping into that game, and he'll be with us for the rest of our campaign of Night Witches. Cool. Excellent Um, stuff. uh, We've also had a pledge from Russ Barrett. Hey, Russ, thank you. And, um... Just has, has, yes, Russ, has Russ turned up on the Discord. I don't think I've seen hey, Russ has been on the Discord. Yep, yep, he's been an active oh, yeah, member cool. of the Discord. Excellent. And of course, I urge all our patrons who aren't already on the Discord to join us on the Discord. Yeah. As uh, somebody, I can't remember whether it was Russ or Jerry, said, the nicest place on the internet, which <laughs> proves they not only support the podcast, but they listen to it too. <laughs> Uh, And finally, we've got uh, Marcus Bone, who joined only yesterday, I think. So getting in under the wire for for being thanked this episode. Brilliant. Yes, thank you, Marcus.
0: Marcus. Cool. And thanks to all of our patrons uh, and everyone who listens as well. But yeah, great. Great to see um, some new people joining us. It's fabulous.
1: Yes, yes. And um, actually, I've been thinking one of the things we haven't done on uh, the Patreon for a while... Is had a target, you know, where we've done various things. Like yeah. um, we had a target for uh, for buying uh, or renting, I guess, um, Adobe Creative Suite so that we could publish some stuff on the Free League Workshop, which we're shortly going to talk about. Mm-hmm. Um, not that we're talking about stuff that we've published. No. Uh no. Uh, and and we have those two targets i was wondering whether our next target should be for a transcription service so that we could transcribe uh for those people who may be hard of hearing the pearls of wisdom that drop frequently from our mouths and put those transcripts on our uh on our website that supports the um the podcast uh what do you think about that dave
0: that's that's not a bad idea is it actually i think that's that's uh that's yeah. a good. I it's mean, a it's a laudable idea because we we obviously yeah. want to to make sure that every person um, who who has an interest in listening to the crap that spills out of our gobs um, has the chance. Pulls of wisdom. Has the Pulls of wisdom. Not crap.
1: Yeah, I think that's a great idea. Yeah. <laughs> cool. Okay, cool. I'll work out how much that's going to cost. I've seen a few services around, and we'll um, we'll set a target for that.
0: Great idea. Um, well because
1: gone. let us remember everybody's patronage of the show helps improve the show. And that's the kind of the point of patronising the show. absolutely. Cool. Um, Right. Shall we move on
0: to the world of gaming? Let's move on to the world of gaming. So what do we have? Well, there's two fairly big things, I think, for us this time. Firstly, is the announcement by Free League of the Kickstarter for Versen uh, Mythic Britain and Ireland, which is going to be going live on the 7th of December. So about three weeks, two and a half weeks from, from the time of recording. And that's very exciting for us for a bunch of reasons, isn't it, Matt?
1: Yeah, yeah. So, I first of all, can I say I'm... Well, I think I've worked out why, but I was initially quite surprised that it was going to be a Kickstarter. Yeah. And you were and surprised I was surprised because... because because we've done so much work on it. We, I mean... Um, because we've done so much work uh, I, on it, it shouldn't be Kickstarted.
0: Is, yeah, that, well, <laughs> is that your logic there, Matt? <laughs> uh, well,
1: so, you know, when you Kickstart a thing, you very often have stretch goals and things. So the shape of the thing changes over the course of the Kickstarter campaign. And yet... Um, you know what, we have seen so I should say that Dave and I have been involved in reviewing the book, kind of giving it a once over editing, play testing the adventures, doing some stuff like uh stat creation and stuff like that, um, for the NPC. So it's been really good fun to get an early look at it. And um, I'm quite excited by the content, um, but it's kind of you know it's finished as yeah, as far it's pretty as much, you funny, and I, isn't isn't it? yeah, yeah. Or actually, um, I mean
0: the content is finished. I, I guess it's probably still layout and stuff to to, to sort oh, out. But yeah, yeah, the actual there's, there's,
1: there's stuff like that. But the actual you know, most of Graham's is pretty work, much done. Uh, yeah, is finished. So I kind of think, well, what are they going to add to it? But then, if you look at hmm. not obviously, we'd, we'd, we're seeing nothing on the Kickstarter holding page there is at the moment. But if you go to the press release uh From Free League, you'll see an image there of not one but two, but two books. Books
0: indeed.
1: And one and thing that you and I know nothing about, Dave, is <laughs> Seasons of Mystery.
0: Indeed, no. What 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 is that? Who knows? um and, yeah. and there's 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 no other information about it, is it? Other than that image. So we've got a lovely image yeah, so- of a book. We've got a lovely image, you know, like a lovely bit of artwork on the front cover. Um, but it's standing behind the Mythic Britain and Ireland book and kind of supporting it, kind of teasing us that it might be something else related to that, but we just don't know, do we?
1: No. Well, I have an idea and I'm going to run it past you and you can tell me what you think. Okay. Shall
0: I tell you what I think before you run it past me or afterwards?
1: Okay, you you go first. <laughs> no, no, it's okay. Go on. Okay. Right. Uh, so I think it might be. Um, oh, no, I didn't play test the first adventure with you guys, did I? You've never done the Dance of Dreams, which is the adventure done, no, in I, the core book.
0: I wasn't involved in the play tests because you managed those. I was I was reviewing yeah. the kind of the main text of the book rather than the scenarios and then um, oh, sorry, you know, no, like uh, offering uh, suggestions and uh, stuff. Uh,
1: no, so I, I did the playtest of, of, um, uh, of Britain and Ireland, but no. Originally, I playtested Dance of Dreams, which is the uh, early book. It uh, is in the core book. Okay, which is the one adventure in the core book, or, or one of the adventures in the no, core book. No, I haven't book. read and that. It, or
0: played, yeah.
1: I got an early version of that because this was before COVID, and we were, you know, they were thinking about launching it and, you know, doing all sorts of stuff at UK Games Expo yeah, in 2020. Yeah. And I was writing an adventure for that, so they have given us the early draft of that, and I play-tested that with my group. And I think we fed back on that as well a little bit. But anyway, Dance of Dreams is an adventure where it hints at a bit of a campaign about the society itself, the history of the society, and the society may have an enemy... And that's never been followed up in any of the other adventures. There's no mention of it in The Wicked Secret. There's no mention of it in Britain and Ireland. No. Uh, And I wonder whether that is going to be a sort of continuation of the, for want of a better word, darkness within the society campaign um, that Mm. was hinted at in that first adventure.
0: Okay. Yeah, it could be. Um, I guess we've got no way of of judging, but that would make some sense, wouldn't it? Unless... You know, unless this is a just a totally new campaign book, a bit like um, Ravens Purge for Forbidden Lands. Um, yeah, but um, yeah, I mean, the makes as much sense as anything, doesn't it? Uh, so yeah, you, you you might be onto something. We'll find out in two and a half weeks. And I'm guessing
1: that that's the stuff that will you know that, that book more than Britain and Ireland will grow with 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 Kickstarter. With the kickstarter
0: campaign. Presumably, yeah, yeah, that 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 does so make, we'll learn. that does make sense. Yeah, certainly we've we've had no kind of insight into what 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 stretch goals that um Nils and Graham have got in mind for the Mythic mm. Britain and Ireland book. Um No, so, that, yeah. I haven't
1: mentioned it to us at all. I mean, I no. guess, you know, one of the reasons why we we're involved in Britain and Ireland is we are British. <laughs> um uh, you know, of all their various uh, contractors and freelancers we might know a little bit about Britain and Ireland. I know I picked them up on you and I both picked them up on a few few points on the map that were yeah yeah misspelled or misrepresented. Um, yeah. So uh,
0: yeah. I mean, it's, it's gonna okay. be it's gonna be interesting to see because I think there's it, some of the stuff we've seen on uh, or I've seen on Facebook over the last few months has uh, well, one it's shown the amount of interest in um, sort of like the the, the of Britain and Ireland. But I think there's so much of it. I I suspect that everyone who comes to it will be fractionally disappointed because one of the things that they love isn't mentioned. Because obviously in terms of of filling the book with um, verse and stories and spiritual stories, uh, yeah, you have to pick and choose. You can't put everything in it. Um, I think there's a great selection actually there's there's a lot of stuff in there there's a lot of ideas and a lot of hooks but I suspect that there's a lot more out there that you know maybe this is well this could be a segue and a half um, we should have done this bit after Dragon Meat because we're going to talk about Dragon Meat in a minute because this would have segued onto yes. the Free League Workshop brilliantly but anyway um, <laughs> maybe it, what it does is leave loads of room for those people whose favourite bit of supernatural British and Irish lore isn't in the book to go to the yeah. free league workshop and put up their own content if only we were moving exactly. on to our discussion of the free league workshop right now that would have been brilliant Yeah. But as, but as you it know, is, when, it's a when, bit of a waste never mind.
1: When it comes to segues you are <laughs> no you I'm know, not just no, I'm as not. good as you I am <laughs>
0: We're both shit at Segway. We occasionally find the perfect segue, don't we? Once in a while, there is a segue that is just kind of born of the king and queen of segways, and it's just beautiful. But it's quite rare, isn't it? Yes. Really? Yes. yes. You can agree um, with me.
1: But you um, mentioned dragon meat, which is quite a good ooh. segue to the next thing that we want to talk about.
0: <laughs> See, I'm segueing without even realising I'm segueing when I'm trying to segue to the thing after the next segue. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, that's talent, so, really, Yeah, clearly.
1: Uh, Dragon Meat is fast coming upon us. Two, it's only two
0: weeks away. I, I was talking to Jenny yesterday and said, oh, yeah, well, that's three, four weeks. And she went, no, week after
1: next. It's like,
0: Fuck. Yes. <laughs> Shit, OK, oh, yeah, forgot about that. But, yes, we will um, be there. We will be there.
1: We will be there. We will be representing uh, Free League, of course, at their stand. And I think we've got some exciting news about stands there as well because the Stockholm cartel are also going to be there.
0: They are. That
1: and by cool. Stockholm cartel, obviously I don't mean, uh, you know, a, a gang of criminals from Stockholm who are going to come and <laughs> rob us or anything. Um, <laughs> I mean, the lovely people behind Merck Boyer. Uh, uh, yeah. Nils, uh, Nils uh, I was going to say? Johan No,
0: I think it's going it's to be there, isn't he? And yeah. ooh, who else? So, somebody else.
1: And, uh, and Pelé. Pele. Yes, I don't know how we pronounce his name, but we'll find out when we get to meet him in two weeks' time. (laughs) And um, one of the things, we're either going to have Johan or Pele, or maybe both of them even, on the panel that we're running. Um, Yes. We're going to have a panel that's... Oh, 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 I've got the segue, mate. I've got the segue. (laughs) So we're doing a panel. Dave, ask me what the panel's about.
0: <laughs> we should do that at the end. Let's come back to the panel. Um, but, yes, yeah, so we, we're going we're gonna to be at um, at Dragon Meat. Uh, I think we're in the upper hall, the upper trade hall, where we were last uh, yes. time. Um, I think last so. Last year, wasn't it? Was it last year? So we're in, the, we're in the upper trade hall, the nice smaller one, which is really uh, yeah, a bit more pleasant and a bit more cosy. So come and find us there, even no, if you just want to come. On. Huh?
1: No, were we there last year?
0: Were we all the... banned
1: from congregating last year?
0: No, oh it was God, last. It's all merging it into was run. last year, wasn't it? I think. It wasn't yeah, the year before? Because the year before we were. But
1: the year before it was all about Alien, wasn't it? We haven't done a... Maybe we it. Maybe it was the year before since... then. Yeah. Anyway, it was this year is before. this
0: is boring our our viewers, uh, viewers, <laughs> listeners. So. um... Yeah, so we're in, we're in the nice we're in the nice small trade hall. It's uh, come along and come and see us, even if you don't want to come and buy something, but obviously come and buy something. Um, but come and see us just to say hello and have a chat. It'll be lovely to see uh, anyone and everyone who's going to be around for Dragon Meat. Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm looking forward to it. I think it's going to be a great couple of days. And it's, it's interesting. Um, Dragon Meat as a convention, obviously the, the two we tend to go to, UK Games Expo and this, obviously UK Games Expo is... Bigger and longer. Actually Dragon Meat feels Thank you. (laughs) Unnecessary comment there. Thanks,
1: Matt. Um (laughs) now for (laughs) oh dear oh dear. Um Nudge nudge, wink wink. Say no more more.
0: (laughs) How was your father? Um anyway, so Dragon Meek being we're only going to be there a couple of nights, it doesn't feel like such a big kind of commitment, you know, mm. outside of family life. And actually there's something quite, it's more feeling about meeting people and and kind of socialising in the bar afterwards and all the rest of it than, um, mm-hmm. than UK Games Expo again, because obviously you get dispersed as well at UK Games Expo unless you're staying right in the centre. So, yeah, I'm really yeah. looking forward to it. Um but as you were uh, saying I have gotta uh, say though,
1: just in terms of I, I won't be around in the bar afterwards because it's also my wife's birthday. And so I'm taking you out to dinner afterwards.
0: Uh-huh. You leave me all on my lonesome on Saturday night, are you? Yeah. Yeah, I'm
1: not on your lonesome, there'll be loads of people. I'll there have to go and find some to. other friends then, won't I? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, you know how difficult that is for it's, you because everybody hates you. That is but true. But don't worry. I'm, I I'm, will try and find you somebody who will look exactly.
0: after. I'm unlikable and I'm boring. So, you yeah, know, what a combination. Yes. I, I do buy rounds, though. So, you know... If, if you do buy for, rounds. If anyone's up for a beer, then, you know, if you could put up with my unlikableness and boringness, then that would be fine. <laughs> or, or me just banging on about Bloody Alien or whatever. Anyway, um, we do have um, uh, an extra little bit of uh, excitement about the convention. So last year, last year, or last time... I was lucky enough to get invited on to um, a panel. Chris Chris Handley of Darker, day, Darker Days Radio was doing a horror panel. I got invited on that. This time, mm-hmm. we've been invited to set up and run a panel, haven't we? Yes. Um, and now you've done all the hard work for this, so you're going to be chairing that. I suspect I'm going to be back doing the actual day job. One of us is going um, to be
1: at the stalls selling yeah. Verson and shit like that. Indeed. Uh, not shit like that. Top points of content, <laughs> I mean, like that.
0: Um, but yeah, so uh, you've done all the hard work on that. You're gonna you're gonna chair that panel, which would be great. So yeah, tell us all about it, mate.
1: Right. So I'm gonna share a panel with uh, I'm gathering together people like the guys behind Morkboard because Morkboard did a wonderful thing in that they created this wonderful kind of absolutely free license to you know to publish stuff for Morkborg or based on. Merck Boyer uh, and and they've created the the Murk Boyer cult where they even kind of help you produce the stuff and um, I've just got kickstarted uh, should have mentioned this in World Gaming Cyborg uh, Merkborg yeah. Heretic which is uh, a lovely another fanzine a sequel to Fertri, um and that and people are producing loads of stuff all around the world with the Mortboard branding, and that is what I call community created content. Mm. But another method of community created content is to go via uh, drive-through RPG and their community content programs, which are all named different things, like the Free League Workshop. Yeah um so I'm going to be doing a session on creating community created content. Um, and I've got not just the guys from Merckborg, but also a couple of really good creators from the UK community as well, including Nick Brook, who's Chaosium's um, community content ambassador, in yep. fact. And uh, will be giving, uh, they'll be talking about experiences of creating content and giving advice. So that should be a really splendid seminar to come to.
0: Should be good. Now, do we know, have we confirmed the timing of that now? not quite
1: but i think it's 12 o'clock
0: yeah okay cool so yeah if you're interested look out for that 12 o'clock um it's possible it might shift but it's not going to be anything other than sort of 12 one sort of lunchtime ish
1: or, so, or earlier it might be because i'd originally asked for 11 and then he told me it was 12 and i went mm, 12 is okay but would have asked for 11 so i'm not sure, like, not sure i'm not sure
0: we that. were able to get an earlier slot were we um, yeah
1: but, but yeah. originally we had an earlier slot when, when, when I first started planning. It, you know, it'd often be 10 or 11. But anyway, by the by. Um, so it's probably 12 noon in the seminar room, wherever that's going to be. And yeah. come and join us.
0: It should be good. Oh, 12 actually is a good, good time because most people have had a chance to get in, have a quick look around, and then they're beginning yeah. to cast about for... And then okay, they're ready go and to a... go,
1: I need yeah. to sit down.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And I need
1: to listen to some wisdom. And um, <laughs> thankfully Dave's not going to be there. <laughs> Thing. but did i say what it's about yes you did it's about community created content like the free league workshop <laughs> that was a bit i'm forced. just driving that, that, that segue home no that was a bit forced though come on that was no
0: that wasn't <laughs> was. that could have been of it, it, was, was. it was okay it was okay
1: it's,
0: <laughs> it's like the british relay team doing their normal kind of baton handover around the last corner so it's okay, but it's not really super fast.
1: <laughs> it's not really. Uh, uh, so, <laughs> let's talk about the free league workshop. Yes. Um, now, I just have to remember the order in which I've written these things down. There we go. So, I uh, we we've picked out three marvelous things from the free league workshop to talk about. As we always say with these, these aren't proper reviews. We haven't tested them in play, and we think that's kind of why. Uh, that's you know that should be the. The basic standard for doing a review but i want to talk about um three things um and the first one of those is uh another ship from our friend um
0: john selquist uh, oh
1: god john selquist that <laughs> just disappeared from my name Your, our,
0: our friend who you can't remember He's done work for us. He did he did the Yeah, yeah. He did, did work the, he with did
1: we did the, produced a Coriolis calendar with He Annika, did the artwork for Alien John, the Colony. Me. He's one of our patrons.
0: He's a ah. great guy. He's very talented. And you The challenge forgotten. actually
1: with him being one of our patrons is he's, he's um his uh nickname on Discord is Horse. And so Horses. I was about to say with our friend Horse and then I thought, Oh no, his name isn't horse, it's 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 John. John Salquist, um, and John, I, I love your Coriolis uh, ship that you've created, uh, a Salamanx Surveyor.
0: Yeah, cool. Tell me about and it. I, as I usual, I haven't, I haven't seen this one, um, but I've, I've seen John's previous work on ships and on ships, and it's excellent. So, tell me a bit about this one.
1: Well, the yeah, the, as usual, um, the illustrations are. Up to stuff along, you know, that, ah. the standard. Yeah, the it's is, brilliant. Are. Yeah, it's really good.
0: um
1: What I kind of like about the Salamanca air, and in fact, John, if you're listening to this, you can confirm or deny this. <laughs> I feel this is John's Third Horizon take on what a Firefly would look like ah, in, okay. in the Third Horizon. And nice. uh, there's a certain thing about it, like the front loading cargo bay, the slightly raised bridge, which has a kind of, um, it's a surveyor. So it's it's designed to be, um, I think, effectively, it's kind of uh, an asteroid mining surveying ship. So it's got a couple of um, manipulators uh, in the front, just in front of the cockpit, where you can imagine it might be grabbing hold of bits of asteroid and, and uh, examining them. Uh, but those give it a slightly insectoid look to its front nice. end, and um, yeah, and I've, it's got a couple of uh, side pods as well that aren't necessarily performing the same functions as those um, the sort of atmospheric engines on the on the Firefly. But for me, it 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 is redolent of Firefly. That's what I'm nice. saying, and. It might be my new favorite. Ship. The problem with John is every time he produces one of these ships, I go, Oh, right, yes. <laughs> it's your when new I'm, favorite ship. When I'm ship. running a, yeah, <laughs> this will be my favorite ship. And this is my new favorite ship. But <laughs> this one might actually last. So um, we'll put a link to that in the show notes and everybody can have a look at it.
0: Nice, lovely. Yeah, the, John's work is is, is absolutely smashing. Um, yeah, really good. Cool. What else are we doing?
1: Well, the next thing is also Coriolis-related. Mm, um, indeed. Coriolis, do you want to talk about the Coriolis Reloaded? Yeah,
0: Coriolis Reloaded is a um, a, a revamp or a... Uh, I think they might consider it to be kind of an upgrade of the Coriolis combat system, um, bringing it more in line um, with later Free League titles like Alien and, and others. It's by Demon Bunny Studios, led by Johan Markström, and it's about. It's it's fairly long actually. It's about forty odd pages, um, mm-hmm. and it basically takes the, the the Coriolis combat system and and gives it a bit of a, a you know a, f- a fresh coat of paint. Now they've changed a fair few things. Um, I, the, the, I mean, the main reason that that I wanted to have a look at it was kind of our running joke about. Um, our Coriolis campaign where I'm playing Oceanis Partha, who has has become a uh, a convert to full auto <laughs> as the <laughs> only way to do business uh, when it comes to it. And the full auto rules... I'm not been...
1: accusing you of being a min-max here, Dave, but you have spent quite a lot of points on full auto-related um, uh, yes. talents so over, ha- over the time.
0: I have. Now... I'm not a min max player at all and all my choices yes in years that... no I'm not no I'm not all my choices yes, in that campaign is. shut up were, <laughs> were 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 based on um the the way that oshin's character the developed. story
1: the story yeah well, well because they, they are inspired he's, he's, by the story
0: he started out as a detective who had some sort of defensive combat skills but not not brilliant um mm-hmm. yeah one of the earliest talents I took was Defender in order to be able to stop people hitting me rather than things you know for me to hit people but the way it went mm-hmm. on and the experiences I had and the, the bad people we keep on coming up against it became clear that having a decent ability to put somebody else down was going to be very valuable so Oshin changed he's changed from that sort of less violent uh, investigator kind of character and has become much more of a combat character so anyway, he he did take uh, um, uh, the licensed talent, so he could get uh, the best gun. He did take the uh, what is it? The full auto? Is it called full auto? Um, machine gunner.
1: There's a thing. There's a thing order, that means that you don't um, your foot. You can ignore your first one that you roll. Yeah. So, I mean, one of the...
0: I mean, I think the kind of the the main thing that the rules here in Reloaded Change is the full auto. They do a slightly different thing with explosives as well. They add... um, Well,
1: explosives could be better, let's face it. Well, that's very true. And I I also
0: think that... There's a point on the explosives that I'll just draw out in a moment. So there Mm -hmm. are some really quite sort of like fairly minor changes. So they changed the initiative from the 1D6 Coriolis to 10 cards or use the Coriolis yeah. card for that, which is fine. Um, uh, they they go back to slow and fast actions rather than a three-action point economy, which is effectively slow and fast anyway, but, yeah. um, but they've just sort of regularised that. Um, there's a few other little bits. I mean, the one thing I would say is they're obviously quite open and and, uh, and, and frank about it. They do say that, you know, adopt the rules in here that you like, discard the ones that you don't. Obviously, it's very much pick and mix. You don't have to use all of them. Um, I guess my question is, did the Coriolis combat system as a whole need revamping? I am I think there are definitely deficiencies in it that we've touched on. But um, personally, I've never really gone through Coriolis, gone, mm, this combat system's shit. I wish somebody would revamp it. But this, yeah, is, a, so this I, is a this is a top this is a top to bottom kind of reskin um, for those who who mm-hmm. want who want that kind of approach.
1: So yes, when you first um, pointed me at Coriolis and made me um, get it on Corio, on Kickstarter, and I got the PDF, mm-hmm. I was sceptical all the way through until I got to the combat system, and the combat system is one I love. Yeah as opposed to one that that I felt was flawed. Now, over time, and with experience, and particularly seeing things that have happened in later games, I do feel this is their first adaptation of the Year Zero rules to do something a bit different to what Mutant Year Zero did. And actually, there were some slightly clunky things. So the three-point action economy, as opposed to the long and short action, probably... That's a thing that feels a bit clunky now, and I'd probably think that the long and short action that's been developed since then is better. But there's a lot of things like um, uh, the stunts I wouldn't want to change, and yeah, there's nothing really I want to change. Yes, you know, you no. do roll a lot of dice when you're doing full auto. But for us, at least at the moment, it's still just quite funny that you do so. Yeah. And we're not... I don't well, think any of our well, other players... Touch.
0: are. Yeah, let me touch on a couple, okay. of, those, a couple of those points. So they, they, they've they tweaked with quite a lot of stuff, but really quite minor tweaks. So things like the initiative, as I mentioned, I, I never felt that the 1d6 approach was bad or needed to change, but the 10-card approach is absolutely fine. Um, yeah. Uh, on things like uh, stunts they've added, they're basically exactly the same as the core book with the exception of um, one thing in particular, which in combat, if you get lots of successes, you can convert those successes into healing mind points. So I think it's looking at, uh, you know, you do a great bit of uh, a great shot or a great punch or something and then you Mm. get, your morale goes up, your confidence goes up because you can then heal mind points, which is fine, I think. Um, it, it's it's, well,
1: it, it's interesting that I think mind points in the early adventures weren't used much at all. Now, no, now, um, in 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 the campaign especially, well, Ricard I, I think, has really brought mind points to the fore, and yeah. so have I in adventures I've written. You know, yeah, exactly. made mind I mean, attacks. My, so my now first... that's a thing that we we probably didn't feel it was necessary when we first started playing, but I quite like that idea.
0: Yeah, I quite like that idea. I guess my one concern is is that too easy for healing mind points if you're getting battered on mm. mind points. Um, Maybe. But you'd, you'd need to play it. But that, that's a yeah. pretty minor change, actually. So that's the only change to the stunts that, that I that I can see in the book. Um, on full auto, which is, I guess, where the major change is done, they've taken the full auto the slightly different mechanic from the original book, which, as he says, you roll your dice for the attack, and then you keep rolling one die, and for every one you get you run out of ammo. For every six you get, you get an extra success. Mm. They've now changed. Well, I and I quite like that actually as a player. Yeah, I quite like it. It does run the risk slightly of say you know with Oshien because he now rolls four ones before he um, runs out of ammo. <laughs> um, it, well, thing is, bear with me because it doesn't. It is powerful because you can roll on not a mid backer at all. Well, no, 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 no. I'm not. Um, yeah. But just carry just, up, just shut up and let me finish. <laughs> um, so I would roll my attack. I might, let's say I get two successes on my, on my, on my main attack, let's say, because you get minus two dice as well. So let's say one success. I then get to roll um, you know one dice. Now, in that process, you're as likely to roll ones as you are sixes. So you're probably going to roll four sixes for your four ones. So that gives me five successes, which is fine. That's, that's cool. That's quite powerful as it perhaps perhaps should be. If you then go to the new system, now they take away that rolling one die and you get effectively three shots for your, for your auto fire. Now they all come at minus two, um, unless of course you take some talents. So if you had the talents and the, the weapon that Oshin's got, you would get four attacks with no modifier, no negative. And how, I mean, how powerful is that? <laughs> Actually, mm. you're going to end up rolling. Well, if he's got, say, eight dice on an attack, you know, that's um, 32 dice in one attack. Mm. So that in itself is really powerful. So I so I think against the charge that they've nerfed auto fire, I don't think they have. What they've done right. is okay. they've, they've turned auto fire. They've taken away the, the, the wrinkle in the mechanics and made auto fire work on the base mechanic for combat, which is fine. Um, mm-hmm. I I quite like the one die rolling thing because there is a bit of tension in that. The other players, I mean, sometimes as a player, I felt oh, this is a bit boring for everybody else. But the others have kind of said, hey it's fine. It's it's not a problem. It doesn't take that long to roll to roll the dice." Um, so I, I so I think the the reason they've changed it, it seems to me, isn't to nerf it because I still think with those talents. It's bloody, bloody powerful. Um, particularly if you're going up against one target, you basically get four attacks on one target with no negative, with a gun that's going to have quite a lot of damage to it. So, um, But what they have done is they've regularised the mechanics for full auto and made it more like the core mechanic than the slightly different outlier version that's in the core book. So I think it's up to individual taste. Which one do you prefer? Which one do you like? I suspect that the new version might even be more dangerous than the old version. Um mm. if you think about it. So uh but but that's you know, but that's fine. So so they've done a lot of things like that. They've added some nice little wrinkles. I think like you say, some things in there, like the, the mind point recovery and a slightly more um involved version of suppression. So there's a table to roll. So I guess this is one wrinkle which i which I I don't know whether I should be bothered about. So you you have your mind points. When you take stress damage, you lose points from your mind point track. But in this version, the way they manage suppression is you need to keep track of the number of stress you've taken. Now that might be quite easy. You just look at your mind points and see what your current is against what your maximum is and that's your stress. But you're kind Mm -hmm. of counting up stress as you're counting down mind points. And then when you get suppressed you roll a d6 add your number of stress and that result tells you how badly or how you know how, how bad the suppression affects you so i quite like that mm. the slight wrinkle yeah. of having to su- having to count stress as well as mind backwards as it were it's not a, it's yeah. not a big thing and it's actually quite easy obviously it just does feel a little bit of a wrinkle um, but i can see why they've done it because the 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 enhanced suppression I think does add another little bit of flavor, which is quite nice.
1: Yeah. I just want so I like that the idea of suppression, I just wonder whether it's a way of trying to squeeze in the alien stress mechanic a a little bit and the panic table, as it were into that and whether, whether that's necessary for, um...
0: well, yeah, I mean the original suppression rules, basically if you get suppressed, you lose a point of, of mind, you lose a mind point. Yeah, um, and that's basically it. They've now changed it that you can t- you can take, uh, you can lose a slow action or you can lose a fast action if you roll badly, mm-hmm. um, which again is fine. Yeah. Um, yeah, but like you say, does it does it need the wrinkles? So I think it comes down to individual preference. If you if you like the idea of yeah. that, take it out of Reloaded and use it. If you're not so sure, don't bother. Um, but yeah, the other thing is um, explosives. We've long talked about how. How, actually how bad the explosive and blast rules are in, in, in um, Year Zero Engine. Um, they've changed it um, a little bit so that the explosion does... So if you're throwing a... There's a slight inconsistency in the rules or slight lack of clarity, which, um, which I'll just draw out. If you throw a grenade, you roll your dice to see whether it lands near the target and then mm-hmm. the grenade does the damage of its blast value. The blast value is a damage score rather than a number of dice Mm. you roll. They then say with explosives, you obviously don't have to make a roll because the explosives just go off. But then the damage for the explosives, you roll the blast value. So that doesn't make... Right. So I think there's a slight inconsistency there. That might just be a matter of um, the way it's been drafted. But if you just then say, well, the explosives should just automatically do the value of their blast in damage then you're getting explosives into a position where they are much more dangerous again, which they should be. I had one yeah. I had one ridiculous situation in um, the Spectral Corsair campaign where I had some suicide bombers who were trying to basically put off the players. And I had at least one occasion, one of them ran up to, I think, Tony, detonated himself, and Tony didn't get a scratch. It's like, nah, yeah, yeah, that I doesn't remember. work. Does it? That's just not right. Um, mm-hmm. So yes, definitely, the explosives rules need... Changing in, in year zero engine Coriolis. I think with a slight slight lack of clarity in their rules there, but I think if they're talking about the damage you sustain is the blast value of the weapon if you are in its blast radius, that works. That's good. And that makes it much deadlier.
1: Mm.
0: So yeah, yeah, I mean yeah. Um go and have a look at it. It's pay what you want. Um I would always suggest give the content creator something rather than just taking it for free.
1: Yeah. uh, I paid. It's got a recommended price. That's quite expensive. I think it's $10, uh, isn't it? I think $10. Yeah. And I paid $10. Well, we at free league pay, uh, not free league. What am I saying? (laughs) We at the effect (laughs) podcast paid $10 and uh, we'll put links to these up. And it's worth just saying a little bit about where the money that we spend on this comes from. Um, So we put up affiliate links for things like this. And if you Buy, uh, buy it through our affiliate link, then drive-through, give us 5% of the cover price or indeed of whatever you spend once you've come through the affiliate yeah. link. Um, so, you know, we get like, Tens of dollars um, every now and then to spend on stuff like this. So uh, if you support us by, it doesn't cost you any more to buy through the affiliate link. But if you do buy through the affiliate link, then we will spend that on supporting um, free league workshop content. Other content um, creators. Creators. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Cool. And it's nicely done. And some
0: some of the artwork in it is really nice. Uh, It's it's a good document. If if you're interested in some of those rules ideas. Um, and there are a few other bits in there as well. There's some advice about creating um, encounters and uh, some rules for minions. Um, if you feel the need for those, go and have a look. Yeah,
1: brilliant. Cool. Right, a change of pace. Well, not change of pace, uh, uh, a change of system. Um, I don't know ah, if you've yes. looked at the Free League workshop recently, Dave. It's packed but full there is, of Twilight 2000 stuff, isn't it? There's a lot of it's Twilight It's absolutely packed full, yeah. Which is great, I, you know. I mean, um, I mentioned earlier on that um, I've got Nick Brooke coming on the seminar. The um, uh, the RuneQuest uh, community content is similarly um, numerous and well supported, mm-hmm. and you know, lots of people buying stuff there. So, if it holds true, that older games. With you know, with dedicated fanships, will produce more community content than you know slightly newer ones like Coriolis. It's weird to think that Coriolis is new still, but yeah, you know, it's mm-hmm. it's not as old as Twilight Two Thousand. No. Then you know, this could really bring the Free League Workshop into thriving, flowering life, and it's great to see that. But yeah. um, the challenge there is, well, what do you pick out when you yes. want to have a look at some of this stuff? Um, and I've got to m- admit, I went for the safe option when I saw it. And that is um, a bit of content from uh, a friend, your friend and mine, uh, and a friend of the show who uh, came on the show after you were watching his videos. Yes. Um, and those videos are called Cold War Goes Hot. And this supplement is called Cold War Goes Hot. Yep. Uh, by, if by you've James, got a good title, by don't James, James By James Langham. James Langham, um, exactly. And
0: get, also, look on look on his YouTube uh, if you're interested in. He does does lots of little videos. He's done some uh, sort of uh, sort of, uh, sort of uh, squad and platoon tactics videos as well, which are which are really nicely done. Um, but yeah, tell us. I haven't had a chance to look at this at all. So um, yeah, tell us about it.
1: Oh, well, I'll tell you what's in it then. So um, yeah, it's Cold War Goes Hot. It's by James Langham. It's listed as Volume One Point One. I so I'm thinking he's going to be producing this as a sort of semi-regular magazine cool. of uh, content. And it is quite a um, potlatch, I guess you might call it. Uh, you know, it's it's lots of different things coming together. It's not just one thing. So um, I'm just going to quickly run through the content. Just to, um, uh, There's one particular thing on the description that caught... Um, caught my eye and made me think. Right, okay, this is the one I'll get. But um, so it begins with some new careers. He's talking about intelligence specialist. He's talking about media, which I thought was really nice to see, actually. And I well, mean, media is more strictly controlled in modern warfare. But you think about all those um, Vietnam films that you know, where uh, a lone cameraman is inserted with a unit, and, the war um, correspondent. Yeah, yeah. So I, I quite like the idea of that. Um uh and and uh then he's got uh what he calls the career non commissioned officer. Officers think they run the army, but they're wrong. The army mm-hmm. is run by the career NCOs. Oh. Calm, been there, done that, got the t shirt, unflappable, but perpetually surprised as the antics of brand new second lieutenants. <laughs> Officers may tell you what they want to occur, and it's your job to make it happen. And um I quite like that idea and I do feel there's in the core rules a bit of a, for me, an uncomfortable thing where between, you know, if you're an actual officer, then your your command stats are obviously better than non-commissioned officers. But I do think there are some, you know, we have seen many stories of, you know, the sergeant that actually runs the show. Yeah, um, and I, I don't think that can kind of be quite recreated in the in um, in the in the, uh, the rule in the core rules as 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 written as it were. So it's nice to see that there. Um, then there's an article on what rifles should my German PC carry, which is <laughs> looking at German rifles. Then there's an article on British characters. Uh, This is what made me pick up the thing. I thought, okay, it's James Lager. We know James. That's, you know, that's enough of a recommendation for me. And let's support him by buying his magazine. But also, ooh, British characters. I always like playing British characters because Mm -hmm. I'm British. Um, And I I was a bit worried when I, um, before I opened the PDF, thinking, what's he going to do? Is he going to recreate a lot of the stuff that's already been done, but with a British twist? And is it going to feel like there's loads of pages here that, you know, recreate it? Or conversely, is he going to go and just say, oh, well, you only need to make these minor changes to turn your US character into a British character. And thank God he's gone between the two. So it Uh isn't a full recreation of the whole life path, but British, but some really useful little, not just little tweaks, there were some little tweaks, but some bigger tweaks as well where he, sh- he shows you a real difference between the American career structure and um, the, British the British one. one. So, nice. so for example, the civilian, if you come from Britain, you don't get to have the hunter skill <laughs> and the pistol isn't available, which is, you know, so these are minor little tweaks that I quite yeah. like, but, but very true. Um, there's specific equipment tweaks. He replaces... Um, particular guns with with ones that Brits might have and later on in the magazine there's an article on um on those and then but there's more extensive tweaks for um uh things like um the officer the operator and um the spook Mm -hmm. one thing I I quite like which I think is a bit of a misprint is that uh, the senior NCO uh, typical nickname section. He points out that the senior NCO is never called Serge. Serge. <laughs> yeah, I'm going to have um, uh, a British NCO with with a French background who is going to be called Serge Surge. because
0: Serge <laughs> Desarge.
1: <and> well, <laughs> but I, I, you I... don't call him Sarge. You normally call him Sergeant. Is his point? You never call a sergeant Sarge. Um, right, but. Sadly misspelt here. To for me, hello. Well, I guess I if
0: he's shorten the sergeant, that is S E R G E, isn't it?
1: Yes, yes, it so, is. So I but guess then that's when a, you read, s- it's, it comes across
0: as Serge rather than Sard. <laughs> <Yeah.
1: laughs> yeah. Imagine him with a Gauloise cigarette, <laughs> and he shrugs his shoulders every time you ask him something. So oh, we'll, we'll, we'll I'm just guessing by character, French, and he's got to be French. That- <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um cool. uh, there's a list of comparative um ranks so you know what the the US ranks that are listed there mean in British terms. Yeah. Um, nice. Which I think is uh, kind of important. Um uh, yeah. then important. there's important an, it- an article on military shotguns. Um then there's an article on British ro- small arms. Which, okay, um, cool. Uh, has got all sorts of stuff in it. This sounds um, like replete with content. Yeah, absolutely. And if he can produce this on, a I don't know what he's planning, say a quarterly basis, then he's going to be doing stunningly well. <laughs> um, I would argue, possibly, that he might do better to invite some content for some other people as well and um, make it slightly more magazine-like. So if I've got a criticism with it, it's, yeah, cool. you know me... It's going to be a typography criticism. He's using, he's using the template, but he's not, he's not making each article distinct enough. He's not starting it on a new page. He's not giving it its own proper headline. It kind okay, of all okay. runs on one article from another, which is fine. You can find the stuff in there well enough, but just a little bit of, sort of aesthetic tweaking for me would be good. And so yeah, I just it's wonder whether. Like a, it's
0: more like a supplement than a, than a magazine with different articles. Yeah, well, it, it, it's from kind of it, it feels like it wants to be a point. magazine
1: with different articles, but it's yeah. appearing more like a supplement. Yeah, okay. And and I'd like to see um, other creators in there as well. And maybe you know, uh, he could perform a useful function in terms of people that have got the creative content but haven't got the publishing now to put it together.
0: Mm. Uh,
1: and they might have little items that maybe don't make a supplement on their own. So uh, I, I'm, I'm yeah, a good looking at you now, um, James, and I'm uh, saying to you, be an editor as well as a writer. And yeah, cool. this could be a wonderful publication.
0: Nice. Nice. It sounds good. Cool. Um, I think we've probably done there. We are. We're already nearly an hour into the show and we've got the main event still to come. Um, and yeah. I've got 20 minutes before my next <laughs> commitment. So let's move on to uh matthew's matthew's trouble with planning what's that all about
1: that's not what the article's called that's what you called the episode
0: that's what no, i'm calling let, the article let's
1: actually do a little bit of history here Mattia, uh, who's one of our patrons asked us some weeks ago oh could you do an article on prepping i've got a forbidden lands um yep. adventure to prep could you do an article on prepping a forbidden lands adventure And you volunteered uh, that week because you were looking for some content to do. And I said, no, you can't do that. You've never prepped a Forbidden Lands adventure in your life, I said. Um, But I I have done
0: quite a lot of other adventures in my life. Anyway, you you snatched this commission off me from my hands with a slap of my hands. I was like, get your hands off. So this article... Better be fucking good, Jones, or I'm going to tear you a new one.
1: <laughs> OK, well, let's listen to it and find out. I'm running three games at the moment. I'm preparing to run a fourth, and I realise that each requires a different style of GMing and, consequently, a different approach to preparation. When we were asked to offer advice on preparing a Forbidden Lands session... I realised this might be true and argued that Dave, who has, other than our Grindbone Convention Tournament, not yet run the game, should not be the one to offer this advice. Because I think you need to be in a particular state of mind to run Forbidden Lands. And that state of mind is loose. Let me explain. Of the four games I am involved with currently, one... Night requires the least preparation. The Powered by the Apocalypse system that underlies the game is really a structure for collaborative improvisation. The players are all expected to take a turn at GMing, for example, switching out GMs every time the aircrew gets sent to a new airfield. So no one person is in charge of the storyline, No one has any idea where it's headed. The GM is a facilitator, not a referee or a storyteller. So work and prep is light for the GM. All they really need to do is remember what happened last time. At the other end of the scale, the game that is currently taking most of my prep time is Troubleshooters. Partly this is because it's a new system that I'm still trying to grok, as well as guide my players through character generation but that's not the only reason for the prep. The structure of the adventure is a mystery and all mystery adventures reward extra time spent on preparation. Not all Coriolis adventures are mysteries but For the most part, the campaign I am currently running is structured like a mystery. So again, that rewards extra time spent on prep. You have to properly understand what's going on because you're trying to make sure the players make the connections between events. And when they turn left and go off the rails, your improvisation has to contain at least the key clues that they would have got had they stayed on the rails. But Forbidden Lands is a lot closer to Night Witches than Coriolis or Troubleshooters. It requires less prep than a mystery adventure or even a good old-fashioned dungeon crawl because it is procedurally generated. The Game Master doesn't need to know everything that is happening and if it's played properly the Game Master won't know everything that's happening. And it's more fun that they don't. So, how do you prepare for a session of Forbidden Lands? As I had the opportunity to prepare a session recently, I took careful note of what I was doing and thought about what I should be doing, both while I was prepping and after the session when I reflected on what worked and what didn't. Now, be aware... This is about prepping to run a session focused around a published adventure site, not creating a session from nothing. If you want my advice on creating an adventure site from the random tables, check it out in episode 90 or, in the old reckoning, season 2, episode 10, called And the Legend Goes. And I think I've got a transcript on my blog as well. It's worth talking about how Free League Structure adventure sites. They generally start off with a little bit of introductory fiction, just a paragraph or two, then a few more paragraphs of background, which may be at odds with the fiction you just read. Then there is a section offering two or three scenarios wherein a party of PCs might be persuaded to explore the place. Each of these normally offers the party an NPC, with a reason to visit the place themselves and a willingness to pay the PCs or let them share the loot in return for help. Or they might be willing to pay the PCs to fetch them some object or information from the site. These non-player characters might turn up later in the adventure itself too. Then there comes the legend of the place, another piece of fiction, and one that may contain some truth but probably many falsehoods. As a side note, I think that some writers don't distinguish between this legend and the first bit of fiction. So it sometimes feels that a site has two legends. Then we get to the meat of the site, a map and a list of locations. Each location is described with challenges that the PCs might face there. Each location as well will list any non-player characters or creatures that the PCs will likely meet, and or the treasures that they might discover. After the list of locations comes a list of non-player characters and monsters, each one with their full stats and a text description, including their motivations. This list includes the ones mentioned in the various locations – and sometimes the ones who might have given the PCs a reason to visit in the first place. Finally, there is a list of events. These are not often presented as a chronology, but simply a set of cool things that could happen. And that's the rub. Cool things that could happen. Nothing has to happen, and nothing has to happen in a particular order, The PCs don't need to visit every room of the dungeon to gather all the clues before they face the big bad. And there may not even be a big bad. So, the preparation work of the GM is to decide which are the coolest of the cool things that could happen for your party. And that may well start with actually choosing the adventure site. Let's take the Raven's Purge campaign for an example. There is a recommendation for which site you should end up on in that campaign but no recommendation for which order the other site should be explored. So you should choose a site based on where your characters are in their story and their motivations. The Hollows is, I guess, a good place for beginning characters to start with but after that... The world, or the Forbidden Lands at least, really is your oyster. For example, my party had had a run-in with the orcs and elves. They had discovered the story of the Stan and grist crown, but expressed no further interest in any of these elven rubies after the trouble that the last one had got them into. What they were interested in was gold, treasure. So my first task was to flick through all the adventures and find one that seemed to offer a decent amount of booty. I looked at every adventure site that we had not yet played to find the one with the most treasure. In the end, I chose one from the Game Master's Guide. And from now on, I should give you a spoiler warning because I'm going to be talking about the Vale of the Dead. If you're planning on playing that soon then turn off now. Come back to this episode after you've done it. If it's a bit further in your future, you can probably listen. You'll have forgotten all the important facts by the time you get there. And as I'm going to show you, your experience of the Veil of the Dead may be very different from the ones that my players went through. So, the first thing I did was pull out Legend. What I always intend to do, but never or rarely actually manage, is to send it to the players beforehand. I want to do this because I want it to feel like some sort of half-remembered thing, even when I repeat the legend to them in play. But I didn't do that this time, partly because it wasn't a legend about treasure and I knew that was the main motivation. So instead, I prepared a conversation that they might have with a non-player character. A rumour of a gold farm and of a magical object that could control the dead. But more on those later. I also looked at, but rejected, the three scenarios offered in the Getting Here section to involve the players in the adventure only one of them might have appealed to my party i knew and i also knew that the party would not want to share any booty with any non-player characters then i read through the locations and decided that they were all fun but i wasn't feeling anything that my party would latch on the list of non-player characters and creatures did not inspire me either but I checked that most of them had stats included in many other games the GM has to go back to the core book to find generic stats for some of the NPCs and here is the first point of learning it turns out that not all the NPCs had stats and I did in the middle of the session, have to dig out generic stats for at least one minor non-player character which the authors thought, I guess, that the players would ignore. There should be a rule. If adventure authors don't think something is important, the players definitely will. Let's call it the, ti- Let's call it the C-Mark rule. So, double-check that you have even the most minor non-player character stats to hand or be ready to make them up on the fly which i might have been if only i played forbidden lands more often but i hadn't played for a year the real meat of a forbidden lands adventure site is the events section here you will find all the stories associated with the place and i think on reflection it might well be where i advise you to start reading Because it was in the events section that I finally worked out how I could present the adventure to my players and I also predicted roughly how the adventure would go. Of course, my prediction was wrong in many respects but it was right enough that I was able to make it all hang together. In the events section, I discovered that Scrome was in a bad mood because his crumhorn had been stolen by whiners. And these two things were enough for me to create an alternate legend of the place that would enthuse my group. The whiners, who it is said can replicate, or rather, grow gold planted under the skin, became the gold farm. And the crumhorn became a magical item that could control the dead. Of course, it wasn't at all magical, but the players don't need to know that at the beginning. It's worth pointing out here that Forbidden Lands books are famously unreliable narrators. They don't always tell the truth and often instead prefer to tell even the GM a perceived truth, the myths, the legends of the place, and then subvert those myths in some character description or location later in the text. This is an important thing to remember for two reasons. First, it gives you permission to lie to your players. And secondly, start reading at the back, in the events section first, so that you get to know the truth before reading all the lies and guff at the beginning. One of the things I got wrong was the group's interest in controlling the dead. I had remembered that they had left their potential stronghold partly because of a lack of money to keep it going and also partly because they had unleashed a death knight nearby and effectively led him to an army of the dead. I was under the mistaken impression that they cared about that and would grab the opportunity of an item that controlled the dead to defeat the death knight. In play, though, it turned out they'd kind of forgotten about the Army of the Dead and planned to simply avoid the Death Knight. But they did like the idea of a gold farm. And so did I, because I knew it would be a moral dilemma, wherein Dave would be gung-ho for enslaving the Winers and creating gold, and Tony and Andy would be less sure, and then by the end of the adventure they would leave the Winers alone. Of course, I had to give them some treasure, so I pre-prepared all that. This is the location that the Stan crown might be discovered, according to the book. But I ruled that out, at first, as we shall see, because the party had decided that they didn't want anything to do with it. Instead, I chose another legendary artefact... And that was the sword Malingan, which I chose for three reasons. One, it keeps the Stunning Grist Crown story alive without being obvious. Its ruby is in fact green, like an emerald. Two, Dave might bitch less about the gold farm con if he got a nice thing. And three said nice thing would have a slight stinging its tail as it comes with a negative on parrying, which Dave's character likes to do a lot. I was ready. I had a plan. The party would likely fight the orcs guarding the place, encountering the whiners, enter the Vale itself, demand the crumhorn from the giant, make him angry, fight him, which would be a real challenge, Go back to the defeated orcs and find the horn in there still and then head off to the next adventure. Of course that isn't how it worked out at all. Which brings me to my final point. Decide on a backup fight. Too often my players avoid the fight I have planned for them but they still want to have a fight at some point in the adventure and so I used one of the non-player character groups that were potentially people who might hire the PCs as a rival group within the Vale of the Dead. I ended up, indeed, having that group discover the gris crown, and now they've been defeated, our players have been somewhat more richly rewarded than I intended. But to find out why, you're going to have to listen to the adventure when it comes out on our actual play feed
0: hmm what do i think do i tear you tear you a new one for that so um no of course not Uh, as always it's uh entertaining and uh
1: interesting listen um uh, if i if i can offer a bit of self-review i must admit there's a lot of words there and not many tips
0: so that's what i was trying to find a tactful way of saying um and 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 failing obviously so i think i think having that kind of context is actually good is a, is a tip in itself so d- mm. don't be too hard on yourself mate you know you could have been i'm a better, not at all
1: hard on myself it no, could have but been I, a better you know.
0: article you could have you could have been much more useful um but Success. you know
1: it's it's okay
0: you know fine
1: <laughs> well, well it, it no, i was of, expecting it actually when when i when i volunteered to do it i thought you know actually i'm gonna I'm going to look at the way I prep. I'm going to prep slightly differently because I know my own eyes are on me. And I'm going to do things like um, stick little uh, those little post-it notes on individual pages so I remember where stuff is. And yep. therefore, I'll use that as a tip that I can then recommend people to do. And you know what? I didn't, didn't do, do that. No. <laughs> so I thought, I can't <laughs> honestly say, here's a tip. Stick little the post-it notes on the different NPCs or whatever you're trying to look for the stats later on. I didn't do that at all. The
0: so, um, thing is, though, just because you didn't do it didn't mean you couldn't say it if it was a good tip. And it is actually a very I don't good know, it tip. It is because, a good
1: tip, actually. Because a lot of books um,
0: do spread um, information that ideally should be in one place around different locations. Um, and it's yeah, hard. And, it, it's difficult drafting a book. I mean, we're doing it with Tales of the Old West and, and war stories and stuff. There are brilliant reasons to have kind of the certain same Certain things in certain in two places. places. Which, yeah. makes, which is a real issue. Yeah. And um, yeah, sorry. Go on.
1: Um, yeah. So, you know, and I think in Coriolis, I would definitely, you know, we've done the best part of two books now. And if I've been bloody uh, putting those little post-it uh, index things in there in the, over the last couple of years, that would have been really useful. Yeah. But I didn't do that. No. But actually, I kind of feel that it is a bit different with Forbidden Lands. Because Forbidden Lands is so changeable. Um, Mm. And also because the adventure sites are really quite compact. So the last time we were looking, so I was looking something up and wasting a bunch of time doing that in-game, was um, a couple of sessions ago, by which we mean... Uh, listeners, years. a couple of years ago. <laughs> um, <laughs> and I was, remember I'd got that idea but the, that there was a sleeping dragon and we'd done a random yes. dungeon and you'd gone really, really deep into this place. I knew there was a thing in this place and we could do that sleeping dragon from that other adventure. And But which which adventure was it? And what's the dragon's name? That's not a thing I would have prepared because... You know, I hadn't thought of that before the adventure. But if I had prepared it, and if there had been a little index there, that would have saved you know yeah. minutes of me looking through the books trying to find the damn dragon.
0: So I, I think I think the thing the thing with with this piece is you've focused on one part of preparing for Forbidden Lands. You focused on the adventure site, which is yeah. which is great. <clears throat> I guess there is another element of Forbidden Lands entirely, which is how do you prepare to run a game that you are then procedurally generating either in advance of the game or actually as the game is, is progressing.
1: And it's Well, of course, I was reminded I've already done an article on that. Have you? Yeah. I've got to work out which episode it's in.
0: <laughs> yeah, I got Yeah, I, I vaguely remember, but I think that was some time ago, wasn't it?
1: That was it was some time ago because yeah. it was like the second adventure I ever ran for you guys. Yes, um,
0: where we ended up with the But I did go um...
1: through procedurally creating it and and of course at that point advising that you did it in advance that you didn't necessarily do it in game yeah although i said you could just about get away with doing it in game yeah
0: i mean my my experience with um mutant year zero which has a very similar mechanic for procedurally generating adventures as you travel through the zone again my advice with that is roll up the zones in advance so you know what's coming Mm. Because I don't like having to sort of do that at the table because I think that can slow things down. You could, though, on the other hand, get the players to roll all the dice for you, and that would involve the players a little bit. Um, But then there is a thing about letting the players see it's a totally random thing, and sometimes Mm. that just feels like you're doing a random encounter. Um, Yeah. And I think there's... On the last playtest of War Stories... I was we were testing the the travel rules because the, the the players had finished one mission they were heading to the next one they had like 10 kilometers to travel and we learned some things in there again because that's it, it, it's a lot of random encounters and you learn a lot in there about how to handle that and perhaps how to plan that a bit in advance when you know the next cam, the next scenario is going to be involving travel GM should plan a bit of that in advance it doesn't feel like you're just doing a load of random encounters.
1: yeah. No, absolutely. Um, uh, and uh, the beauty of Forbidden Lands is, I think, uh, if, if, if the players have bought in on, okay, this is going to be a totally procedural campaign, let's just roll it up as we go along. We're not going to use any pre-published stuff. Then you could, you could definitely do that. But yeah. actually, some some players might like the feeling that this stuff existed before they encountered it. Exactly. Which you kind of yeah. don't get until you roll the yeah. dice. Um, yeah. But yeah, I will find out. I and mean, in fact, I put a little note if you look at the text, I think, to, to to remind myself which episode was it. And I'll point people to it. But yeah, we have yeah. done an episode on randomly generating Forbidden Land stuff. Yeah. Um, <laughs>
0: yes yeah but no so on this on this piece so the, the things I took away from it were the, the introduction of the Tyler Jones C-Mark rule um, yeah. that NPCs when you need them to be started out won't be and <laughs> your, your key messages are lie to your players and withhold treasure
1: so well done <laughs> no no those are not the key messages those are the key messages <laughs> of the book as a whole <laughs> nothing to do with me my key message is I read it backwards. So, yes, yeah, yes. I, 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 that makes a lot of sense. And I think it is yeah. actually a challenge that I, you know, you read a thing, you're inspired by a thing that um, Eric or whoever's written the adventure has decided is a lie. And then yes. you get to the truth of the matter and you go, oh, well, that's a bit disappointing. Of course, you can't make the lie the truth, I guess. But actually, yeah, of course um, you can.
0: You can do what you like with um,
1: it. Yeah, yeah, it's your game. Yeah, uh, but I think my advice is to look at the events and the characters kind of early on in your reading of an adventure, so that you you get to know the truth, and then when you look at the stuff that is more of a lie and a legend and a myth, you can understand where that's come from. Yeah, I think that's my biggest tip. Yeah, um, yeah, it's a good tip for reading these. And yeah, and I think my and overall my biggest tip is don't over prepare because either the players are going to turn left or yes. you're going to roll something random. So uh, in in this last adventure which our players haven't listened to yet so I'll I'll which our sorry our listeners, listeners haven't listened to yet. Uh so I don't want to spoil it too much but you encountered a dead ghost with an arrow in his back. Mm-hmm. We did. And he he was randomly rolled but changed the whole course of the adventure because <sighs> he then became your guide and your introduction to Scrooge. and I yeah. was honestly expecting you to to fall out with Scrooge or to encounter him badly, and to in in the end have a big fight with him, which would have been tough. Potentially, well, yeah, it, it would. It, it may well have killed you all, or <laughs> at least some of you. Uh, and it would, you know, it would have been a big fight. But actually, the way it planned out, that didn't happen. And no. so I did have a little backup plan, which I wasn't really going to use. And that's why you've now got not one but two parts of the um, standing grist crown. Because I wasn't going to give you the crown. Yeah. Uh, initially yeah. and um and then kind of by accident, because I invoked the backup, you've got that mm. as well as the sword Malingurn.
0: Yeah, I think it's I think it's good that you know, even even though as a combat party we are we are reasonably strong, um mm-hmm. we've we've been outclassed before. And so yeah. while 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 I was content, potentially if we had to to try and fight the giant um, it wasn't plan A, that's for sure. Um, you know, And fighting never is plan A. It's like we didn't want to kill. We didn't want to kill the No, you didn't even
1: go into that. Th- so there's a house with a with creature inside monster it. Monster in it, yeah. <laughs> and, and yeah. And you kind of worked out there was a house with a monster inside it and said, right, okay, we're just going to ignore that. And <laughs> yeah, exactly. I knew you were going to do that.
0: What thought- possible value is there to go get killed by that thing or end up running away again? <laughs> Uh, which again <laughs> yeah, it's one yeah. of the things I love about love about um, about forbidden lands that you you can you know with a bit too much bravado you can walk yourself into a situation that on the face of it looks pretty even but on the one hand it might turn out very quickly to be way beyond you like the death knight or on the other yeah. hand it might turn out to be actually way within your abilities like the duel I had with um yes. Heroku- uh, so champion, b- yeah Horaka's champion champion both of those outcomes were a surprise. You know, it was a surprise to realize we weren't going to beat this Death Knight. And we had to run like hell. It was a surprise to realize that I killed him in one blow because I got the first blow in. Uh, and yeah, that's and good. I love that. It's in, nice in that the terms outcome, of the
1: procedural story that we're telling. That's all yeah. great, actually, yes. isn't it? Yes, uh, but and it's nice that the outcome were, of a
0: fight is a surprise as well. When you go into it, yeah, you don't know for sure whether you know all options how, are available. How Jennifer, well which, which makes yeah. the gaming, the playing of it, yeah, you know, un, you, know it, you don't know the outcome. So the outcome is 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 a bit of a surprise, which is great. Rather yeah. than going into a fight, you know you're going to win if you hit the guy hard, you know enough times.
1: So that's the thing, isn't it? A yeah. bit, that's another difference actually between doing this and D and D is that in D and D, for example, or traditional role playing, a GM is encouraged to balance the adversaries to whatever level yes. their party is at absolutely and there's none of that encouragement there's a little bit of a if you really want to maybe you can reduce the number of attacks or increase the number of attacks there's a little bit of that around the monsters yeah. bit but they're kind of saying but don't don't do it don't no. do it let them run away because yeah. <laughs> this is a game where running away is a viable option it is and it was great fun um, that, that that encounter
0: because considering we were just being nasty little grave robbing thieves grubbing grubbing around in the dirt to try and find a a gold piece because you keep denying us any treasure Um, then resulted in that encounter that we then had to run away from like hell thinking "Mm, we might not all get away from this we might not all make it yeah Yeah, it's great it was really good
1: and what I loved about that is that encounter was rolled up again in our play this last time and you guys went is it a ken? okay let's (laughs) let's avoid that let's let's leave it alone yeah
0: We've learnt from bitter experience that rummaging around <laughs> in some bloke's grave might not be a good thing. Yes, yeah, no, that nah. was great. That was great. Right, yeah, I think I guess probably, then I ought to let
1: you go to your next game. We've probably banged on
0: long enough. Uh, another Jeez. long episode. Um, so yeah, anything else to add, Matt? Until next well, week. Well, I'm just
1: thinking about you know next week's. Ne- the next episode, we're meant to be recording on the weekend of Dragon Meat. Yeah, yeah. And I'm not sure how uh, how easy that's going to be. So I think we're going to leave uh, a promise of what the content is next time a little bit vague yep. and probably warn you that this episode, we're recording a couple of days after we normally record. So this is going to be a little bit delayed. Yep. But next week's is going to be even more delayed. It might Next be. times, it's yes. Well, I even if until... we
0: record it beforehand, it's unlike it's not going to get edited until afterwards.
1: Yeah, so, I, yeah, yeah. yeah. I think we've got quite a lot. You know, I am juggling my wife's birthday and Dragon Meat. Of course, so, yes. Um, yes, yes. So it's not like I'm going to sit there at Dragon Meat uh, editing the episode for uh, uh, for immediate publication. No. Uh, what we might be able to do, you know, we might record some content at Dragon Meat if we can, uh, but we may not even be able to do that. So
0: um, it's a mystery. It's, it's going to be a surprise. No, cool, cool. it's a whole
1: season of mystery
0: <clears throat> yes indeed right well with that uh, on that note thanks for listening everybody have a wonderful <laughs> fortnight and uh, yeah it's goodbye from me
1: and it's goodbye from him
0: and may the icons bless your adventures and see you at dragon meet I hope cheers guys you have been listening to the effect podcast presented by fiction suit and the RPG gods music stars on a black sea used with permission of free league publishing